Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will utterly destroy me. Which may be how the rhyme should be. Or at least the author of the letter of James has a very particular view of how we should treat our words and the power of our words. As Susan mentioned, words have the power to create. Words also have the power to destroy. So our lectionary text from the New Testament uh, today, it's not a part of a series, it's a standalone here today, is from the letter of James, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speech is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or, or look at ships. Though they are so large that it takes a strong wind to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire a cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but no one can tame the tongue. A restless evil, full of deadly passion, poison, excuse me. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth came, come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, James, tell us how you really feel about the power of speech. And the power of our tongues. I've been holding my tongue uh, for a couple of months. Uh, I learned something this summer that I've been holding on to, that I've been holding on to, that I knew this text was coming up and I wanted to wait until today to reveal this. I wanted to wait until today to reveal this new delicious fact that I learned. So a couple months ago, I was watching a documentary on whales and dolphins, you know, aquatic mammals, right? And it was talking about how intelligent whales and dolphins were. But then that got me thinking about how intelligent is it really to need to breathe air in order to stay alive, but then live in the water? It seems counterintuitive, seems not to be very helpful. And that sent me down this, this rabbit hole of learning about whales. Like, for example, like, 
how do you sleep if you live in the ocean but need to breathe? Like, do you, like, have, like, a little knapsack or something, like, under a... Like, how do you do that? How does it work? Or how do you, how do you eat without, like, choking to death? This is fantastic. And this sent me down this rabbit hole of studying the physiology of aquatic mammals, you know, as you do, you know. But then I found this fascinating fact that whales and horses are related. What? Because in both animals, the breathing apparatus and the eating apparatus are completely separate and distinct. In other words, did you know that a horse cannot breathe through its mouth? Did you know that? You all seem so impressed with the uh, thing I've been waiting to tell you for like three months. I didn't know that the horse, a horse can only breathe through his nose. That's fantastic to me. And they're related to aquatic mammals because they have the same physiology. Of, in other words, a horse's nose is an evolved blowhole. And that's fascinating to me. <laughs> okay, James, James would be impressed. Yeah, thank you. James would be impressed with, oh, stop with your pretension. James would be impressed with this kind of a detail and a fact because James would be impressed that a mouth has a singular purpose. He would be impressed with that physiology because James, the author of the letter of James, wants us to have a singular purpose with our mouth. Metaphorically speaking, our speech. Our speech should only be used for upbuilding. Our speech should only be used for telling the truth. He says, because if we're not careful, our speech can set ablaze the things that God is building. James would appreciate that a horse's mouth has one purpose and one alone. So we have the head, the center for rational thought and logistics, right? We also have the heart that is the center of emotion and empathy. But then we have the stumbling block of the tongue in between, which attempts to synthesize and communicate this jumbled mess of rationalism and also emotion. On the one hand, it makes me shudder that James starts chapter 3 of his letter by saying, those who teach will be held to a higher account. So not many of you should be teachers. But on the other hand, thank God, the very next thing he says is, and we also all make mistakes. Right? And that reminds me, some of you know the story already. That reminds me of my very first prayer I ever said as a seminary student. I was serving at Myers Park United Methodist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it was after my first year of seminary. Because of the Duke Divinity Fellows Program, I was placed at this 7,000-member church in downtown Charlotte. And the pastor, James Howell, gave me the opportunity to say the, the, the offering prayer during the offering time. So I spent the week pouring over this eloquent prayer of giving our gifts to God and giving a tenth of all that we have earned and all belong to you, God. So at the end of this prayer, as they do at, at Myers Park, they hold the offering plates up at the altar table 
while saying this prayer. Now, 7,000 member church and me, are you all sitting down, who doesn't work out at all, I'm holding these plates above my head and my arms are shaking pathetically as I'm saying this prayer. And that caused me to become distracted in my speech. And the end of the prayer should have gone like this. As we continue to pray for the city, Charlotte. Yeah, someone over here got it. That's not what came out of my mouth. And I could hear the senior pastor just, you know. Here I am, the seminary intern, pouring all week over this eloquent prayer. And, you know, because I'm doing this, like not to embarrass myself, you try saying City Charlotte. <laughs> I wanted the whole, I wanted a hole in the earth to like swallow me. It's similar to what my sister went through. She's going to let me tell in this story. My sister Melanie, on Youth Sunday, she led the prayer. And she was supposed to say, Christ is a light to enlighten the Gentiles. Not what she said, baby. I love it. Christ is a light to lighten the genitals, is what she said from the pulpit. It's just this. The tongue is a funny thing, man. Like, you have to be careful. Now, what James, now James is not talking about, like, flubbing, right? Or, or messing up or getting tongue-tied, this kind of... James is talking about language that tears down and language that destroys and language that corrupts, right? And he feels very strongly about that. He even calls it something akin to a restless evil and a deadly poison, right? And can you imagine speech that was actually poisonous to us? Well, there's a novel written in 2012 uh, by Ben Marcus called The Flame Alphabet. If you've ever read The Flame Alphabet, and it's a story of a post-apocalyptic world where children's speech is actually toxic to adults. Where their language, hearing children speak, is actually deadly. And to go through all of these different things of, of how to solve this problem, is it, is it a serum that we need? Is it isolation? Is this starting to sound familiar? Is it isolation? Do we just stay apart from each other? How do we solve this problem? And what they discovered in this book is that they stop talking, but they discover that they become even close, father and son, mother and daughter, they, they, they become closer together because they start showing their affection. They have to show love for one another instead of just say it. And the lesson in that book is learning how to show what we mean to say. Or, as James would say, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer as well. Be a doer of the word. The flame alphabet showing affection actually brought them into a deeper connection with one another. As James says before our scripture lesson today, it says, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but have no works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, yet you do not supply the bodily needs, what good is that? So faith by itself if it has no works, 
is dead. Kind of a scandalous thing for James to say. When someone's hungry, don't tell them, may you go and feast on the bread of life. Feed them. In my church growing up, First United Methodist Church in Slidell, Louisiana, anytime we would have a mission, we would always feed first. Because some folks will say, like, hey, can you come downtown? And uh, we were talking about downtown friends earlier uh, in Sunday school. Hey, can you come downtown and, 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 and do, like, a, a prayer service, you know, for, for, for the homeless? And our commitment at First Church Slidell was always, we will have the prayer service after we feed. Feed first. And then we can talk about the bread of life. But let's break actual bread first. Meet their needs. A couple weeks ago we talked about Luke chapter 6, where Jesus meets the needs of the crowd first and then reveals to them the beauty of the kingdom of God. What good is it to bless someone who is starving? Feed them first and then talk about the beauty of heaven. Showing what we mean. Showing up. Being present. The proverbial talk the talk, walk the walk, which is rooted in creation. James, in this letter, wants to remind us of the, the first creation account in, in Scripture. Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 2, chapter 4. Because God spoke, things happened, and then God called it good. That's what James is getting at. It's a very simple lesson. Say it, do it, for the good of the kingdom of God. Speak up and show up for the good of all. And that's what James is getting at. Remember creation when God spoke things because words, words are powerful. Words make ideas real in the world. It's a fascinating thing of our human condition that the things that are going on in my head, I can implant in your head by using words. It's fascinating. Words are powerful. They make ideas real. So James is saying, say it, do it for the good of all. Show up. Be present. It's the first lesson in Scripture. Say it. Do it for the good of all. This past weekend we were saying and doing a lot of things uh, as a family. We were sitting around and talking about uh, September 11th, 2001, where we were, what we were doing. And I know that you all have stories. It's one of those things like my mother would tell me about the, the assassination of John F. Kennedy, right? It's just you remember where you were, what you were doing, where you were going, what you were saying. And we were talking about that as a family. We were also talking about, you know, we, we, we say never forget. And we shouldn't. We should never forget what happened. But then what does that mean? We were also remembering that several years ago, the survivors of 9-11, specifically the first responders who did their job, who went into buildings, who cleaned up, and also became very sick because of that work, had to go to Congress to remind them to not defund these medical programs that were taking care of them. And it's haunting when you hear someone who took a break from chemotherapy to go to Congress to say, you just tweeted, never forget, but I'm sitting here to hold you accountable so that you won't as he struggles to breathe. Say it. Do it. 
for the good of the kingdom of God. Language, if we're not careful, can be dangerous. This is a great little book, and I actually found it on my shelf. I didn't show the 830 service. Uh, it's a great little book that is required reading for preaching in seminary. Uh, it's by Harry Frankfurt, who's a professor at Princeton, and the title is On BS, though it doesn't say BS. Yeah? It's right here for the live stream. There it is. Um, it's required reading for a seminary because it, it, it's very specific in the kinds of language that exist. There is truth-telling, there is lying, and then there's BS. Now, in this book, he says that truth-telling, truth-telling is that which is life-giving. It's not just the conveyance of fact. For example, if I'm living in World War II and I am hiding Jews in my house and a Nazi officer knocks on my door and asks me if I'm hiding, hiding Jews, I'm going to say no, and I'm not breaking a commandment. Truth-telling is conveying that which is life-giving. Lying is deadly and deathly, and it tries to obscure or bury the truth. And in this book, he says, he holds a high regard for liars because they, they find the truth so powerful that they will do anything they can to hide it. However, the BS is the worst of all and the most deadly because they don't care about the truth at all. They will say whatever they need to say for their personal gain, whether or not something is true. What is deadly is when the truth becomes apathetic, where we no longer care if something is true or not. And that's what James is warning against. It can be a, it can be a poison. It can be a fire. And not the good kind of the Holy Spirit kind or the Pentecost kind. It, it can be something that tears down and destroys. It's language, that kind of language is language that only helps the speaker. James goes on to say, Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly and unspiritual and devilish. For where there is envy, selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom that is from above is pure. It is peaceable. It is gentle. It is willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. As Christians, we should have a singular focus of our language. We should be the horses from the horse's mouth kind of people, straight from the source. You can trust it because it is fruitful and it is good, it is peaceable, and it yields when it needs to, speaks up when it needs to, but it can be trusted 
so that Christ may be seen in all that we say and also all that we do. Because we speak up, we also show up for the good of all, not just for me and not just for you. And yes, we will still make mistakes. We will try to pray for the city Charlotte and it might not always go as planned, which is why we still need grace and we still need forgiveness and why we will always need the truth. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.